0: If you're just tuning in, welcome. This is Mango Masala, the South Asian show. My name's Kearns and I hope you are having a lovely Saturday. To kick off the show though, let's kickstart things with this week's Agni Anti segment. So you know the drill. Basically, you guys send us your problems. We try to solve them. Yeah, let's get into it. This one hits a bit close to home, to be honest.
1: I really don't like the way my partner dresses. Some <laughs> things are nice.
2: <laughs> is this my oh, anchor? Oh. Oh, Do you okay. know who is? No, I just think it's so funny when girls hate the way they're... Oh, okay. Dress. It's because the way he was looking and you was laughing and I'm thinking, what? I just think it's so funny.
1: Carlos has... Gina's not me. Carlos has you? funky clothes. Yeah, he's dressed like Yeah, Exactly. Anyways, I really don't like the way my partner dresses. Some things are nice, brackets, things I buy him. But other things are super ugly and embarrassing. I obviously love him to death and hate that I'm being so judgy. But some things really give me the ick, like stuff he's been wearing since he's 14. Brackets, he's 26. Currently, I'm not a nonce. (laughs) Please advise, am I a Listen, listen, you're not b, you're valid. That's, you know what? I'm not yeah, even thinking. It's so
2: funny when girls like, A, I think it's really funny when girls like dress up their boyfriends the way they want them to look. I think it's kind of cute but kind of funny. But also, you know, like when someone's trying to be experimental and you just look at them and you're just like, ooh. I'm not going to lie yet. I feel like
1: out of all the ones that we've read, this is the most genuine conundrum because she obviously
2: loves her boyfriend. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like she obviously, but then I feel like you can just say like, "Babe," like she's obviously like she obviously loves her boyfriend, and she and she understands like yeah, and she
1: understands like that she she wants him to have that space to you know be express himself. That's why she's not said anything.
2: But also, your partner is an extension of yourself, and to some degree, like you do. It does impact because, you because this isn't a problem of like, oh, I hate what he wears. He never puts effort in. As in, like, oh, if we go to a function, he comes up in a tracksuit. Yeah, that's not, not that's a separate kind of issue. As in, like, oh, he just doesn't like respect you and whatever. It's that's not it's not that issue. The issue is he's trying, bless him, <laughs> but you still not hitting the mark. This is, I'm not even gonna lie, genuinely, this is very, very, uh, I would say this is the most genuine because it is very much well intentioned, uh, yeah. but, but it's fashion, obviously just not sitting right. I shouldn't subject That's what I was just about to say. Someone else out there will like appreciate that, I guess. But then again, like, like I said, if he was 14 wearing the same hoodie that he's wearing at 26, first of all, what? How,
0: how maybe the partner is just sustainable and just wears tops at home that he's had for a while but it doesn't really matter because no one's seeing them anyway
1: okay look i'm not gonna lie it is fashion is subjective style is
2: subjective <laughs> <Myanka's clears throat> burner
1: account. it is very very difficult to say kind of what is objective i mean there's there's objective fashion trends right and beyond that, it's sometimes difficult to be like, okay, where like this is what you should be wearing, and blah blah blah. Wrong blah with blah. a bit of
2: like gentle encouragement, like if you wear stuff that you buy t- him, maybe just like reinforce loads of compliments when he wears something you like, like a little puppy. I would, I think, I think I, I'm thinking of it as like, what if it was the other way around, and what if her partner yeah, didn't yeah. like what she was wearing? But girls are so much more socially aware. I think when it comes and, to fashion and how would appearance. But what but, but if, but that's my point, because style is so subjective. What if he personally didn't like what she that's was what wearing? I mean, if he, if you reinforce loads of compliments when he wears something that you like, he'll get it in his head that like, oh, this looks this, this good. This, but this, it's, it's tr- this, I think this the this problem
1: good. is just that his personal style yeah. is just different to what I she think likes.
2: Few, Not- it's objectively <laughs> but you can't go wrong you can't go wrong with a bit of encouragement like a bit of gender couple of general. no okay words. I, I think i think in my opinion i think it's about compromise I, I don't think, think it's a relationship breaking issue no or of course not. not at least no but that's why it's a conundrum because yeah, it's not yeah. one that you could just get
1: out of do you know what i mean you can't yeah. just be like yeah i'm gonna break up so with why you. Did you end
2: your 10-year relationship that's well, what i'm
1: saying his hoodie, man. exactly <laughs> exactly that's why it's a genuine conundrum but I, my, honestly, my advice would be compromise from both sides. I would think the the partner, the girl, like at times she is just gonna have to let him wear what he wants and and be okay with that and have to, and understand like if the, his it happiness how and much his comfort. You care
2: about your external experience, because I know people that would care a lot, whether they even just go into like the shops for the day they would want their partner to look really good like if they were wearing something a bit bummy or not that nice something they thought was ugly that's a ridiculous standard, a that's yeah. a, a ridiculous standard I think. it just depends on your standards though yeah of their business i'm that's not saying ridi- that's okay i'm just yeah. saying yeah like, i think i think, I think that's a mad
1: that would be a mad standard to hold I, I think i think honestly yeah compromise like yeah sometimes understand your partner's gonna have to wear what they want to wear and then the important thing okay, for okay, you
2: okay 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 all right it all I'm saying is it depends how bad, because what if you like to dress like a cowboy or something?
1: Whatever it is. Or like a girl. As an adult, you have to affirm a person's agency. And in that situation, <laughs> hang on, guys, wait. In that situation, what has to be important for you is their happiness and their comfort. But other way round, the partner also has to, I think, compromise and understand that. Okay, listen, yeah. if this is something that really bothers my partner, I c- maybe I should make a little bit more effort to dress in ways that is pleasing to them, is 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 good for them. Yes, Mianka, question.
2: Hypothetical.
1: Yeah. What if they
2: consistently wear SpongeBob SquarePants find a new man
0: <laughs> <laughs> you like Spongebob <laughs> what the hell your, f- your fiance doesn't. and that's the problem I thought you'd have my back but
2: I'm not okay with A the girl, underwear girl, B the holes girl just what buy is, him new is, underwear just go to there go to Calvin Klein go to
0: Calvin I don't nice wear them nice. out I wear them to bed because they're comfortable
1: the holes though if she if that's it bothers a good thing nah it's not that deep. What do it's you mean? It's not a good meant thing? to
0: get too hot down there. Otherwise, it's bad. Holes allow it to breathe. No, no, that
1: can't, no, 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 no. that can't be the only way. Bad for your. That can't be the only way because then they would purpose build holes into underwear. Holes don't wear. Overpopulation or just don't, don't wear, wear any.
0: Have. You would rather me wear no underwear than wear underwear of holes in. In bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. All right, simmering time for the next one. <laughs> and that concludes this week's Agni Auntie here on Mango Masala. Make sure that you tune in every week for new segments and also on our socials every Wednesday for videos of such. La, 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 la,
2: la.
1: I thought that was just for, just for my ears only. I did not expect that you would then... Come bless, on, air and, and disgrace everyone. us like this, Carlos. You're
0: one to talk. See
1: if I—that's my point. Because now, if I started singing, it would be a problem, wouldn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. I in case you guys that. can't tell, I'm now joined in the studio by Helena. What's up,
1: guys? How does back it in be? the cut, baby. I know. Back in the cut.
0: How does it feel to be back? It
1: feels good to be back.
0: How does it feel to walk up four flights of stairs whilst fasting?
1: No, it was actually fine. I thought it was going to be like, oh, mm-hmm. my God, can't, can't be bothered, but it's fine.
0: You know what I did? What? So, obviously... We're doing um, our interview with Nasima later on in the show. Make sure you stay tuned for that. It's been a while since we've done a live, on-air interview that we're doing via stream. And for that, I need a certain wire in order to do that. And because we haven't done it in so long, I've misplaced the wires. I had to go and get it this morning from Argos, but luckily I was able to do that, I know. But um, I walked from the car walked up to floor three of Vernon Mill
1: realised you didn't have it yeah
0: and then I had to walk all the way back down go to the wire look it was in the car because I'd left it there but like I was just like
1: I know there's people listening at home thinking oh my god these lot must be just the most unfittest laziest people guys it's just it's not even that bad it's just
0: no but it is it's a reality check but i don't know if it's maybe because i'm used to the treadmill i don't know what it is see me
1: yeah all right you know what now that we're talking about it yeah you know um let's talk about the stairmaster (laughs) the gym because it is like the stairmaster is notoriously the worst like gym equipment right i feel like it's very universally unanimously agreed that even yeah. like extremely fit people even like kind of very avid gym goers everybody is very intimidated by the stairmaster do you know me yeah? yeah i'm not i'm not the fittest person i'll i'll give you that but when i was like there was a period last year where for like months i would do half an hour gym master every single session
0: which is good. No,
1: it's insanity. Yeah. Because then, then, like, when I switched up my gym routine and I started doing, like, 10 to 15 minutes, like, literally two weeks later then, when I tried to do, like, half an hour, I was thinking, was I on drugs? Like, was I psychotic?
0: I don't know. Like, it works, though. Okay, it, I mean, definitely it works. It's
1: a horrid, horrid machine, like, though.
0: before the... I mean, I'm sure Stairmasters exist then, but back before I went to the gym, when I was, like, in school, I, like, started getting, like, fit like around like year 10 year 11 and the way that i did it was because i didn't like the idea of going out running because i was like i don't want people to see me so i literally once someone just went up and down the stairs like a million Swear times down. And it works. yeah it works carlos, what the no i wasn't i wasn't walking i was running up and down the stairs that's so still...
1: bizarre what in your house just running yeah. up and you found oh carlos is that it again yeah, let's just it's... get him a gym membership
0: no <laughs> Oh, but it, it worked so yeah
1: it yeah. is um it is equally as effective as it is terrifying but
0: anyway enough moaning about we always have to start by moaning about something yeah
1: we, I, we had to do it
0: and before that i just want to moan as well about hay fever so if you hear us both like pff, ing yeah. that's why been,
1: my eyes have my eyes have just been streaming guys yeah.
0: but halima welcome back you can now tell us where have you been
1: I mean, do you know what? I'm not just back in the studio. I'm back in Manchester, guys. I've moved back to Manchester. Yeah, where where have you
0: been full stop? I've been...
1: So, I I mean, people know, right? People know I've been living in London for the past, like, nine, ten months. And I have... I've made my return. Um yeah I'm back well I mean not for that not for long
0: I don't think yeah I think the the whole not for long thing makes it a bit more anticlimactic because it's like I know realistically you're going to be jetting off somewhere like some point soon
1: yeah but I am back guys if at least temporarily but um, I'm just back from a lot of things I'm back in the studio I'm back in Manchester I'm also back from Umrah um, which is um, for those of you who aren't Muslim it is a one of the major pilgrimages um, in Islam so well actually no, there's two pilgrimages in Islam um, well no there's lots of pilgrimages but there's two that are like very serious ones um, so Hajj is the, the main kind of the obligatory um, pilgrimage which is like one of the five pillars of Islam and then Umrah is kind of like the smaller um, version of Hajj um, and uh, me and my family have just gone and performed Umrah um, for the first 10 days of April and we came back this week oh my god came out earlier this week
0: mm. so have you been before though? yeah I'd yeah.
1: been before so I went in like 2016 again with my whole family um, but I think it was a very it was an extremely different experience this time because my <clears throat> relationship with Islam has like matured a lot in the past What was it Seven years Really oh my God, seven So years.
0: you haven't always been Like because honestly I've only known you For the past like Three years-ish Yeah like, So you haven't always been As In touch with my faith Yeah No
1: I have Like I would say Kind of Faith is one of those things That really like I don't think faith Ever kind of Um it's not linear. It doesn't ever just kind of... There's not one straight line when you're kind of tracking your faith. I think it kind of fluctuates and it kind of ebbs and flows and stuff like that. So when I was, like, a young adult, like, uh, kind of uh, late teens, I was very religious. I was very kind of, like, very practising and stuff like that. And then I think, like, in my early 20s, I um, kind of uh, fell back a little bit, I think. And then, like, only recently, I'm starting to, like, really, really kind of, like especially get back in touch i've always 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 had like a man i've always had faith i've always had a very very strong belief it's just the practicing part of things that ebbs and flows and and it happens it's life but um what i mean more specifically is that like i was um 19 last time i went so it was seven years ago i was 19 and um faith again is one of those things that it becomes more profound with age because you, I'm seven years old, I have seven years worth of life experiences. A seven years of my faith strengthening and reasserting and reinforcing itself through those life experiences. I, I kind of like, I, I feel like the older I get, the more I believe in God. Like, I, I know some people think it's just kind of like, uh, oh, you either believe in God or you don't. And like, I always have. But the older I get, I'm like, nah, nah, nah. Like, you know, like it, it gets stronger. Um, so it was a very, very, very like a different experience this time around I was also kind of more aware of what I was doing because obviously it follows that protocol you have to take certain actions and stuff like that so I was also more aware I was more aware of the history of, of kind of where I was and what everything was uh, what everything was, and what was going on and all that kind of stuff so it was all in all <clears throat> an extremely formative experience and also because it was Ramadan right because um, you could, so Umrah you could hajj you can only do during the Islamic month of hajj um, and Ramadan you could do at any point during the year apart from during i believe um but ramadan is obviously the holy month in islam so going to li- literally the holiest place on earth during the holiest month was like it i keep using the word miraculous like whenever someone asked me like how was umrah i keep saying it was miraculous it felt miraculous you know i
0: mean even as a complete outsider it looked miraculous it
1: did from, right yeah. i just think like I guess what I mean It's like, because I'm older And I'm I, I think seven years wiser Than when I was 19 You kind of deep things In a way that you didn't before And you internalise things In a way that you didn't before and, and so basically this year It was extremely busy I think it was the bus- busiest That like, it has ever been In like recent history It was mm. guess how much Guess how many people Went this year
0: I was in
1: How many pilgrims During the month of Ramadan Went to Umrah
0: I don't know Surely it's gotta be At least a million
1: Twenty-two million. Wow. <laughs> Twenty-two million. So that's
0: like a third of the population of the UK.
1: Yeah, basically, yeah. it was. Cr- I mean, like you saw my snaps and stuff, right? Like it was yeah. jam. Packed. Like, every single day, it yeah. was just jam-packed, I, right? I
0: think that's the thing. Like, that's part of what made it so miraculous, but then also stressed me out at the same but the, time. But you know what?
1: And That's the thing, though. Like, we, you would think, because, like, my sister's, like, quite claustrophobic and stuff like that, so is my mom. And you would think that, and they have very high anxiety and they have very, like, low stress levels. And you would think being in a place like that where it's literally to, like, millions of people that it would just be so stressful. And it's actually, I swear to you, somehow miraculously the most peaceful thing because you're there and you're so hyper cognizant of the fact that there's literally millions of people here who are all here for the same reason like all of these people from all walks of life from all corners of the earth are here to worship the same god in the same direction in the same way at the same times like there's just such a unity in a place like that and you're sitting there and you're realizing raw, like islam is really it you know <laughs> like i was there thinking okay like muslims it's like we're doing all right you know we're actually doing all right there's 22 million of us in this one one place right here right now it was honestly it was insane but the the point i was making is that the bit where i feel like my kind of me having more like emotional maturity now is that i'm looking at that place and i'm thinking like there's actually no place in the earth like like Makkah, like so. Makkah is um, obviously the holy city, right? Um, and that's where Umrah is performed. There's actually no place in the earth like Makkah. I cannot think of anywhere else in the world where. First of all, like, it's such a sanctuary for Muslim people, you know, especially in this, like, increasingly, like, Islamophobic world where there's so much hostility for Muslim people. Just all, everywhere you go, there's, there's just Islamophobia. Um, so to have this sanctuary, and that is... And it's so crazy because that's exactly how our Prophet, peace be upon him, like, created that place for Muslims. Like, Makkah was created as a holy city as, as a sanctuary for Muslims. And you go there now and you get that, that exact same sense. Like, the, that whatever that place was created to be 1400 years ago is still very much that place for Muslims today you know Um, and like to, to, to kind of be in that place and to feel so safe. Because when I say it's jam-packed 24 hours a day, like, we would do our morning prayers inside the mosque, the Masjid al-Haram, which is the holiest mosque in the world, um, the site of Umrah. So we would do our fajr prayers, so our morning prayers, inside the masjid, and we'd leave at, like, 6 a.m., and it's packed. And you'd go... No matter what time of the day you'd go, it's packed. Like, and I I was just there thinking, like, no one is actually... With all due respect to all of our religions, no one is touching Muslims when it comes to prayer and worship, man. Like In
0: Halima's opinion.
1: In my opinion. Um, but I'm just thinking like, imagine the resolve that you gotta you gotta have. These men are just 24-7. People are on the road, sleeping, sleeping on the road. I, I bet you people go and don't even book a hotel. Cause they'll actually just camp out in the mosque, in the mosque and just mm. be praying twenty-four-seven. It's mad, but it's just incredible because it, it puts you in that state of mind where it's just the God consciousness is. I've never felt God consciousness like it. Like I've never felt, obviously, you're gonna feel as close to God because it's it's the Kaaba is um we call like the house of God. So like of course it's the it's the closest that you could get to like God on this earth, right? But just that kind of collective prayer, collective worship, um, it's everywhere you go. It's actually everywhere you turn, you know? So yeah it was just there's just no place like it in the earth where it everyone is just there to pray like actually everyone there's literally millions of people there and every single person is only there to pray it's it's crazy honestly so yeah had an amazing time what a fantastic time
0: i'm glad to hear that yeah what so as a closing point on this topic then what would your advice be to anyone just go no no but <laughs> like young people especially young people who are maybe going for the first time they like, obviously go but mm. like is there any like advice that you could give that yeah. would make their experience better
1: i would say like just make just just it is like the most basic advice just pray as much as you can, just do as much worship as you can. Because obviously, as I, as I say, like people only go there to pray and, and worship and stuff like that. But it is very intense. Because also, remember, like Saudi is literally desert land, you know, so um, it's like 30 something degrees. And obviously, when you're fasting, it's difficult. And um, they have like shops and stuff like that. So a lot of people do also go and do like shopping for like Islamic stuff, you know, like Islamic clothes, Islamic, you know, stuff. Um, but I would say, like, just try to remember, like, just keep in mind and just be extremely, extremely conscious and cognizant of, like, where you are and how holy that place is. um, and, and, like, just use it to your advantage, you know? Like, prayer can really, really heal, you know? I... The things that... I just, honestly, I feel like Umrah, I feel like Makkah is... I genuinely, like... I'm not even saying this because I'm Muslim. I think it's the most incredible place on earth. Like, even from a political standpoint, because it's every, it's people from all of like all walks of life. You know, people from literally like all over Asia, all over Africa, all over Europe, all over the Americas. Like, you know, and like it's it's we remember that Islam is actually thing that unites all of us islam is a thing that binds all of us together and and you know what you're there yeah and when you're performing umbra um <clears throat> you have to wear the same clothes everyone's wearing the same clothes and it's like no matter where you come from what language you speak what country you live in how much money you, ache, m- how much money you make um what you do for a living no- nothing about you matters other than the fact that you are a believer of Allah, like like when you're stood there and you're circling the Kaaba and you're circling the house of God and you're all wearing the same thing and you're all saying the same prayers, it is such a stark and humble reminder that we all came from the same place and that we will all return to the same place and that no matter what we do in between, it's not gonna change the fact that in the eyes of Allah He made us all equal you know and I feel like it is and that's why like you know Malcolm X um, who obviously very very prominent like black rights activist and he became a Muslim in his like later on in his life and it was he, he literally wrote about it and he said like he went to Makkah and he said that he's never felt the unity in Makkah as he uh, sorry he's never felt unity anywhere else in the world as he did in Makkah, right mm-hmm. um and it is just it's a phenomenal thing and i think it's a very very unique thing even me i've not seen i like, been so many places in the world i've never seen anything like it genuinely um so i think that kind of like as i said such a stark and humble reminder of that we are actually all equal not one single one of us is better than any any of us um Mm -hmm. just really try to kind of internalise those things you know that's what my my it's just a very incredible place honestly so
0: yeah no like you even like yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm just trying I'm honestly I'm trying to figure out how to segue from that but I don't think I can so let's just put that
2: (laughs) yeah full
1: stop there (laughs) and I would honestly like for Muslims I would recommend going it is by the way um I, th- I will say one thing. Maka's amazing. Medina's amazing. Uh, Saudi is not amazing,
3: <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> mm.
0: I
1: have a lot to say about Saudi. Is the camera
0: on? No, but it's fine. we got one. Oh, money.
1: okay. Um, I have a lot to say about Saudi uh, that I can't yeah. really say on Yeah,
0: air. maybe should get out on yeah. camera.
1: <laughs> should we? Come on. Come on. Because oh. of me, I've got things to say. I've got things to say.
0: Can you believe, guys... I thought we've got all the content we need from that.
1: No, 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 no. Because do you know what? I feel like I can't talk about one side of uh, Umrah without talking about the other side of Umrah, or Makkah, or Saudi. Come on, let's get it. Let's get it. Let's come on, guys. Because you know what I'm about to say. Everyone knows what I'm about to say. So I will say one thing. Yeah. Whilst Islam is perfect, Muslims are not. So whilst the whole point of Islam is to democratise, is to equalise, and being a Makkah really makes you feel like that, we cannot forget that it has also, the pilgrimage itself has been institutionalised by the Saudi government. Now, this is what is very difficult about making a certain demographic of people custodians of the holy place, right? Um, because in my opinion they're just not very good um saudis in general i have very very strong opinions on um absolutely one million percent one thing that i will say on air and i will not say it's my opinion is that we strongly stand against and condemn their um like it's not i was gonna say war on yemen it's not even a war like just just their like persecution oppression like Um, for those of you who don't know Yemen has been facing like one of the largest humanitarian crises in history Um, and it is kind of like the Saudis that are attacking them so there's a lot about Saudi Arabia that I just don't understand that I don't agree with because obviously they are they are supposed to be like the custodians of Islam and the Muslim world and the ummah right Um, and yet they're kind of persecuting another muslim country but anyways um so arabs in general i think i don't know if we've ever spoken about no we haven't but in islam basically kind of um as i said even though islam is perfect muslims are not and um there are kind of global politics that play into um like muslim affairs i'm not gonna say islamic affairs but muslim affairs and one of those things being kind of racial hierarchies so the difficult thing is that arabs in general um feel as though they have this like hegemony over islam because obviously saudi is the place that islam came to first um like arabic is the language of islam it's the language of the holy quran um so saudi's and just Arabs in general, I think as well, kind of feel as though they are like, because they are like the custodians of Islam, that they have a certain authority, they have a superiority complex. Even outside of the phrase of Islam, in general, they they kind of, ha- you know, because they are a bit, I guess, ra- higher up in the racial, global racial hierarchy that is based on like skin colour and features and stuff like that. Um, but then given the context of the fact that they are custodians of Islam as well, there is a very definite Uh, hierarchy there's a very definite sense of superiority um and that's been prevalent i feel like in all um arab and non-arab like dynamics it's do you know what it's the point where the prophet has literally had to say that there is no arab there's literally actual quote um that says there is no arab that has any superiority uh, over a non-arab and a non-arab that has no superiority over an arab right but he kind of uh used arab as like the fixture in that in that sentiment anyways my point is is that whilst umrah was amazing and whilst being in Makkah was amazing i'll tell you one thing that i don't like and it's very very common across the arab world is how they treat south asians and and non-arab people because i'll tell you one thing yeah i'll tell you one thing do you know who's running saudi you know who's actually the backbone of saudi is the South Asians, specifically Bengali. I have never in my... Okay, so Bangladesh makes up one of the largest labour workforces, like migrant labour workforces in the world, right? And I'm used to seeing Bangladeshis everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, all over Europe, all over Asia, like all of the Middle East, there's just Bengalis everywhere. I have never seen a demographic... Of Bengalis as large as I have seen in Saudi, as in like I'm not even joking. Everywhere you go, there's Bengali workers, right? And they are treated so awfully. It's the people that it's it's they're all the cleaners, right? So the people that are cleaning the mosques, the people that are cleaning the hotels, the people that are cleaning the streets, it's the people that are cleaning um, all the restaurants and the shopping centres and all of that. They're, the all, almost all of them are south asian and a vast majority of them are specifically bangladeshi people and there's obviously that kind of um that racial hierarchy right where the saudis treat them very very badly because they believe that they are superior to them in race in 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 islamic um like hegemony um and also like the way that they're paid is a lot of it is that they're just so overworked they're so underpaid they're so mistreated and it's one thing that i really really dislike it's the case over like (coughs) the whole arab world as we spoke a lot of the gulf countries in fact are built up by slave labor. i know we've spoken about this even as recently as the world cup in qatar um but for me it's just a specifically a, a kick in the teeth when it comes to saudi because it's as it, as we said like Makkah specifically is like literally the holiest place on earth and it's the place in the world where Islamic values are supposed to be the purest um that they are and, and supposed to be kind of <clears throat> enshrined in the most um kind of robust way possible and here you are in the holy place and it's like these Bangladeshi cleaners who are literally working all day and night getting paid very little getting mistreated a lot um and it, it's kind of like, I don't understand what kind of dissonance must, like, behold someone to be able to be like, yeah, we are custodians of Islam and, yeah, we're here, like, literally, you know, manning the holy place, but we're going to, like, mistreat this group of people, you know. So I think that's that's really something to think about Um in terms of how Islam is not shy of like real global politics in fact like Islam is at it's heart a socialist religion you know Islam is inherently a political kind of dogma so definitely that's something to think about and pay the Bangladeshi workers
0: cool not cool (laughs) yeah not cool (laughs) I'm back
1: Carlos has had to just stand there and man the camera this whole time. Right. Now we can segue.
0: Quick rapid fire before our chat with Nasima. Let's get chatting about everything that we need to chat about because Halima very nicely gave us a full detailed breakdown of, of everything. Right. First up I wanted to talk about was parasocial relationships. And the reason I want to talk about this is it's actually quite sad. Um, So for those of you that don't know i my music taste is very much like probably falls into the cheesy re, re, <laughs> region like i unironically love like, little you know, mix like, yeah, like stuff like that and the foundation of that was the first like music act that i very much liked was s club And sadly, yeah, now, and I've seen them before and I was going to see them. I think I I don't know if I'm still going to see them this year. Um, They were due to tour tour later this year. And sadly, last Friday, got the news that Paul Cattermole of S Club 7 has sadly passed away. And I don't know. Like, obviously, I've had, like, celebrities um, that I've really looked up to or admired pass away before i think the last one of note personally for me was naya rivera from glee again going along this kind of unironically Cheesy, pop things. Stuff, yeah. yeah but still that was obviously very sad um and got definitely gone too soon mm. um and now obviously this has happened but i think this one has like it really hit me the most really? I, yeah and i don't know
1: maybe because like it's such a fixture of your childhood yeah and it's one of those things that you don't think about the kind of mortality of like when you're a kid it's like this shiny kind of really exciting thing that that mm. you look up to and you don't think about the kind of like the fact that these are real life people who have yeah. uh, who are who are mortal, you yeah. know,
0: especially in a group of seven of them as well. Yeah, like I kind of like I think you
1: should expect yeah. that they're just going to stay that way forever. You know, yeah. it's like it's like when you're a kid and you look up to your parents and and you think like they're like superheroes that like they're just not human, you know, in a way.
0: Yeah. Moving on. <laughs>
1: oh, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry, Carlos. No,
0: but um,
1: that's what it is. I think it's just yeah. your
0: it's it's yeah it's, it's been yeah no. So your a child is
1: wounded isn't it
0: honestly like I have been ill for the past week so that's been preventing <laughs> me from going to the gym as well but also like last weekend i literally couldn't even like i was i was really, really sad i didn't want to i was just like i'm actually oh. really sad like and again i'm not trying to make this about me because obviously at the end no, of the day but someone actually, has you know died what? Like, but this is my show i'm talking about the way that i'm feeling yeah like, um but i just wanted to talk about in general like I've, i'm just looking on it now and obviously i'm still kind of going through it but like it's actually mad the fact that someone who doesn't I've, know you uh, exist yeah, can have I've such an impact met, on you. Ne- yeah. We'll never know that I exist because now they've passed away. Mm. As like their 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 passing has had like means so much to me. You, yeah. It's just interesting. Like I mean, I personally have always been kind of like I really don't like the idea of idolizing people mm. because ultimately, like that like the only idol in your life should be God, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. But like that doesn't mean that people can't play like a big roles in your life sort of thing but it's just to me it's just crazy how yeah like
1: i mean that, that is kind of like obviously there's a, a lot of awful awful toxic things about like c- celebrity and like celebrity culture um but i guess that is really like one of the the, the really positive things is that you actually don't know kind of what what you mean to someone you know like Mm. and what what your kind of like what your celebrity um can offer to someone and the solace and the and the kind of like um maybe sense of belonging and identity that like that that it could offer to a young child who's in their formative years you Mm. know
0: so yeah so R.I.P. Yeah, closing on that topic. R.I.P. Paul, and also like solidarity with the rest of the band and all the fans. Apart out from
1: there. a certain uh, someone,
0: I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, oh,
1: problematic uh, la, la, fave. La, la, that's la, la, fine. La, la, We're all allowed. La, la, you know what? Okay, la, la, fine. We're all allowed one problematic fave. If that is who yours is, then okay. It's
0: a problematic. um no I don't know what you're talking about moving on moving on on to again it's kind of touching on the topic of parasocial relationships again um, Ariana Grande recently um, put out a TikTok which is quite unlike I don't think she's normally one to kind of put out videos where she's talking like directly to the camera Um, I might be wrong, but I don't think that's the case and she did this and basically Um in this video, it's like a two minute long video in which she talks about the fact That um a lot of people have kind of been commenting on her appearance in terms of her um, body And a lot of them I believe have been saying about um how she looks a lot skinnier um, mm. ...than she used to. Um, I would guess that's what people are talking about... ...because that's that would be my impression... Um, mm. ...having like... ...seen her. Yeah, having seen her after this conversation. Um, but she's been saying about how like... ...people, loads of people commenting this... ...like on all this stuff saying... ...oh like what happened, blah blah blah... ...and she said actually what you think is my healthy what was like what you're comparing to was actually one of the most unhealthy times of my life i was on loads of medication i was drinking i wasn't taking care of myself now i actually am and this is my healthy, like, I am actually, like, looking after myself, and this is the way that I look, but you're thinking that, oh, now, because they look a certain way... Well, because
1: uh, she looks more slim now.
0: I believe that that's what it must be. I I don't know what else they could be talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, she's kind of just said, Mm -hmm. like, I just feel like we should, like, maybe stop being so openly outward and confident to comment on other people's bodies which i, I think that's yeah. one one
1: million but i think you know what to be honest i feel like this even needs to be a slightly longer longer segment maybe a, 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 on a later show but 100 i feel like I, I find it extremely weird and i find it extremely offensive um when anyone comments on anybody else's body like in any capacity as in like i've had I've had to like shout at people when people have made comments about other people's bodies in my presence because I'm like, you're you're a weirdo. You're actually a weirdo if you're commenting on anyone else's body because what has it actually got to do with you? Unless somebody is a loved one and their body is actually a um is indicative of of something that is a health issue, that is the only, only instance in which anybody has any like justification to fix their lips to talk about anyone else's body but if that's not the case especially a stranger like Ariana Grande uh, like you're weird you're weird <laughs> because why yeah. are you commenting on another woman's body um, mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's that's you know what I said before a lot of toxicity or surrounding ceb- celebrity culture that's one of them it's that kind of over visibility that over familiarity people thinking they know you people thinking they can speak on you um, but having said that though we could extrapolate and I think that that's actually something that is that runs through society in general body image is one of those things that all of a sudden there's no discretion there's no um boundaries it's a free-for-all when it comes to talking about body image all of a sudden in society that is just an acceptable thing that anyone could talk about you know mm. like other things in life we could respect that oh that's someone's private matter that's someone's personal matter but when it comes to somebody's body and how somebody looks all of a sudden apparently it's acceptable for strangers to talk on other strangers' bodies yeah. and, and 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 how they look you i think because
0: it's something that's consistently outwardly you can witness it um but obviously, that like, that, shouldn't give you the right to therefore go and address it or do whatever. Because ultimately, that's someone's being that is a literal part of their entity. 100%. But it's because, like, it because, like, when you were saying before about how certain things we can respect, I think it's because if you find something out about someone, something that's happened that's like in the past or it's like an experience, it's stuck in that time. Whereas someone's appearance is it's just constantly there.
1: I don't, I don't even think it's that. I think it's more sinister and a lot more political than that. Because that's kind of like saying like like someone there's other things about someone else's appearances that we might not necessarily comment on or might not necessarily fixate on i think it's very very specifically like it's not hair it's not skin it's very specifically weight and body image and body size right and i think actually like even though in this instance we're we're kind of hazarding that we're speaking about her being slim so like it's kind of like skinny shaming i guess you know to put it in a certain term actually what that is is rooted in fat phobia um because what fat phobia did is create a culture wherein um it was acceptable to comment on people's as bodies um and i'm talking about literally growing up in the truth in the 2000s with shows like super size versus super skinny secret eaters mm. uh, you know nu- numerous yeah. numerous it kind it, of countless
0: it's, you know what, it's mad like that clip of that guy like walking down the street and he's like i'm off to meet the world it's family, and it's like yeah. It, 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 no, and it's like. It's, it's resurfaced as like a meme because it's so incredulous that this was actually on that TV this was a thing but at the same time it's actually we like we all sat down wow, and watched it like. we
1: all sat down and watched it you know what I mean like um, but that's my point like it that is what you call like the culture of fat phobia what it has done is is cultivated the space we're in it's now acceptable to talk about bodies period whether they're big whether they're small like whatever side of the spectrum they fall on it has kind of mandated and ratified this culture where it's actually acceptable to do do so so it like funnily enough that's a problem that that is you know skinny shaming is actually a, a problem of fat phobia um but i i, I think again i think maybe imp- unpacking this in a later um yeah. episode is, is probably better because i think there's a lot to say here yeah but, it is just it's just extremely weird. Like you as as a as a person should just never ever ever feel compelled to comment on anybody else's body. Like just mind your own business.
0: hmm And finally, final topic to cover before we chat with Nasima so this is the one thing because the first two things that we talked about you didn't necessarily know too much about yep. this one you have seen my right?
1: eyes just rolled <laughs> up back when Carlos said it I just went oh for god go on play right. the jingle oh well, why don't you load up for us right so and our segment
2: bad vibes
1: Carlos, please spare
0: us. That was particularly bad. I think you've got your headphones on. Yeah, I can't hear myself. Yeah, Yeah. that was particularly bad. Goodness gracious. But anyways. Yeah. So I'm just going to give the breakdown of what exactly we are referring to here. Carly Bird was growing fruit and vegetables at a plot in Harlow as part of her A Meal on Me with Love initiative to help those on benefits, low-paid earners and pensioners, I believe also refugees as well. Boxes given out through the scheme are filled with essentials such as organic fruit and vegetables that Miss Bird grew in her garden Miss Bird says that she herself suffers from MS and lupus And therefore understands how hard it is for people during the cost of living crisis Um, I believe so far she's helped feed more than one and a half thousand people during this crisis now she put out a video um earlier this week a very distressing yeah video. in which she said that someone's jumped over in the night and put salt in all of the land that she grows these vegetables on which if you don't know basically makes the soil Infertile, yeah. means that the, you can't grow anything there anymore um, she estimates that someone's dumped probably roughly around five kilograms of salt on this Um it means everything she's planted won't grow and she can't even replant there, so all the hours of work she's put in is now dead. And yeah, she was really sad. Um,
1: nah, you lot, me too. I was really sad. I'm mm. not gonna lie. I'm sorry, yeah, but nah, I'm actually, mm. I'm vexed. And I, I nearly cried. No, I think I did cry. I think I got teary watching that video. Poor, poor woman. And I just think, yeah, it very, very kind of succinctly like encapsulate. What I believe is the British, like, presence, the British, like, the essence of Britishness, right? We've spoken before on this show, uh, specifically within this segment. There's a reason why we've called it Bad Vibes Island. We've spoken before on the show about how British people have this bondage to sufferation and how they believe that if they've suffered, that everyone else must suffer. And I think this is really it. This is really kind of, like, the most depraved example of that sentiment, right? It's, like, I can't... It spins my head trying to rationalise. You're not... Like, this poor woman literally has MS and lupus, which, by the way, are physically taxing conditions, you know? It's not like... it's she's. It takes a physical toll on her. To plant that much, to maintain an, allot- an allotment of that size... is more strenuous on her than an able-bodied person that's first of all and yet this woman has still done it from the kindness of her own heart which by the way is less of a comment on the kindness of this woman and more a condemnation of our government because why are civilians having to feed government subjects that's first and foremost right she's actually the government have outsourced their responsibility to this to this woman this disabled woman who very kindly has taken it in her stride and has has done fantastic work at her own detriment, right? The person who has gone and salted their land, I'm assuming, not only have they not done anything to help, you're now stopping someone else from helping. That's the bit that I can't rationalise in my head. The bit where you're not giving yourself. Fine, I can understand. You're just selfish. Mm. You know, you're just self-centred. Fine. But, But what in it, what in your spirit tells you that That I'm actually gonna I'm gonna go to the I'm not gonna go to the effort of of feeding other people. I'm gonna go to the effort of starving people. Like you're going you're going to an effort. Can you Google the price of five kilograms of salt? Don't do that, it was rhetoric.
0: No, I'm (laughs) I'm curious. But like
1: you've spent time, energy, money to 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 starve people. You could have spent that money feeding people.
0: It probably is around a five. Hour.
1: You could have bought a meal deal for someone with that money. I'm I'm flabbergasted. That's the bit in my mind, yeah. Even me, with all my imagination, I can't rationalise it. I can't understand what what kind of mean-spiritedness would drive someone to stopping somebody else who, at their own detriment, is feeding someone. How can what drives you to stop that person from feeding other people?
0: nothing but pure hatred literally there can't be anything else i can't
1: i can't fathom that i can't yeah. fathom like what now there's something wrong right. with you there's actually something wrong with you whoever it was there's something, yeah. something deeply wrong with you
0: the good thing is that and again i believe hopefully at least this maybe shows
1: I'm, 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 I'm very annoyed <laughs> I'm, I'm angry
0: hopefully this shows maybe an alternate side to the british psyche um but Oh. She's been overwhelmed because since putting out this video there's been a GoFundMe set yeah. up and people have donated more than a hundred and ninety thousand pounds to her initiative in hours.
1: Yeah. I so think it's big a, up big up this lady yeah. anyway. Like listen, yeah. she's really, really such a kind hearted lady to do to kind of really make that effort given her her yeah. own conditions.
0: And you know what, even after all this happened she was like, It's not gonna stop me, I'm gonna keep going. So yeah. She I feel is. like
1: crying I actually feel like crying like when I think about it I
0: should feel like crying even if the person who sold the land doesn't get caught they'll get what's coming to them
1: you really will you know you really will and part of the pun you really will reap what you sow you really really in this life you will reap <laughs> what you sow I don't know how you sleep at night whoever you are you're a disgusting filthy repulsive person if I could if, if I can even call you that it's because we're we're on air and it's Ramadan I can't say what I I really
0: think I mean literally objectively you are yeah you are the act that you've committed you are
1: there's no there's no rationalising there's no justification like sorry what you're starving you're going out of your way you're spending your money to starve people you're weird you're weird you're a weirdo
0: a lot of people are weird today yeah man This
1: this society's full of weirdos man (laughs)
0: right Anyway, let's get played a bit of music, and when we come back, is going to be chatting it to Nasima B for us.
1: Welcome, everybody. We are uh, joined by Nasima B in this segment. Nasima, can you hear us? Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Mango Masala. Long time coming. Long time coming. Um, Very exciting. Right. I'm not going to say anything. Nasima, would you like to introduce yourself in your own words?
3: Go oh, on sure. love um, I'm Nasima Hi <laughs> that's it, and that's all you need to do. Um, Pretty much, I just write things um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a poet mm-hmm. I produce things, but I also do some acting um, All rounder So I call myself an artist But really I think I'm a black artist Because whatever you'll pay me for I'll do it
1: <laughs> But there's an artistry in that as well I'll tell you I'll tell Is, with, with as English <laughs> graduates we'll tell you there's an artistry and black in blacking. um okay cool so I like how you went from I'm just Nasima to oh yeah I'm a writer producer actor all-rounder come on come on big up yourself um so what like for people who obviously like ha- aren't aware of your work or haven't come across you before which to be honest if you if you're living in Manchester and you are vaguely familiar with the art scene you probably will have but um can you tell people uh, more specifically about the kind of work that you do, the type of work that you do?
3: Yeah. Um, so for me, I'd say probably my biggest audience is nothing women.
1: Yeah, come on.
3: However, yeah. I just write for myself. Mm-hmm. I always say I'm not anybody's role model. I don't try and be anything other than just say what I feel. Mm-hmm. And really, like, it's as, it's as, <laughs> it sounds so cliche, but it's as authentic as that. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to just write from a point of, um, just from a point of like understanding for me, writing is me trying to dismantle and understand things, me trying to, um, break things down, um, and really like have conversations about things that I care about, whether that's something that's happening personally in my life Mm -hmm. or something that's happening in our community locally, locally, or something that's happening like far beyond and a little bit more globally. Mm-hmm.
1: that's interesting mm-hmm. because you're here you're saying like oh I just I, 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 I don't have any kind of concerted objective I just write about what touches me and yet as someone who's kind of like seen your work and read your work a lot of it is very political so it's very interesting then how as like a Muslim woman it's you your existence your identity is just inherently political right like kind of not,
3: not concertedly going into that but also then unwittingly ending up there mm-hmm. um, absolutely agree. You know what, someone, um, I once described myself as a political being mm-hmm. without choice, yeah. um, unfortunately, there's no off switch on being a Muslim woman and not being political because just by the makeup of what you look like, whether you're presenting as a Muslim woman, visibly or not, mm-hmm. you're political because of what's mm-hmm. happening around the globe, because of, you know, what we've grown up with from my, from my very early early like primary school years up until me as a big woman now and I'm not going to say my age um, but yeah it's a bit wild when you think about it like that but when you think about it like that it's such a pressurized thing when you go on in society and you just exist as yourself because you're trying to hold up facets of everything else and really like i think i've learned over the years to just try to accept that you can't please everyone mm-hmm you're just yourself Mm -hmm. um, and you're nobody's role model other than the person you want to be Mm -hmm. and try and be Mm -hmm. that you're trying to be for yourself I think that's another yeah. yeah that's another thing as well because it's like
1: even if we're not as I said concertedly but more unwittingly kind of presenting political ideals and stuff then you then what the difficulty is then you become a representative of that and society can't see you as anything but a representative of that like i feel like anytime, especially like an ethnic person or, or a muslim person starts talking about identity politics or politics at large um they get very much pigeonholed into that box and we like on this show because obviously we are a south asian show and we speak a lot about south asia we said that an important part of reclaiming ourselves as like South Asian beings in kind of the Brit- British like landscape is actually also talking about nonsense and talking about things that don't necessarily relate to to being Muslim, to being South Asian, just 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 cute girly things.
3: Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, well, me absolutely! Because guess what? I'm not just a Muslim woman. I'm mm. also Bengali, I'm also very Mancunian. Yeah. Um, i'm also very english i'm mm-hmm. probably more i'm probably more english than i am bengali i'd say that oh, really um, yeah. yeah which is probably not a comfortable thing to say live on air with the Tory government no, but you know not- yourself <laughs> um but yeah like you're everything you're everything and you're as much as you accept yourself to be in all of these facets like yeah without being be-
1: pigeonholed right like yeah, you could be all of those is- things and, and 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 not be specifically just those things either
3: Absolutely, I think it becomes a problem when you feel pigeonholed and when people are pigeonholing you, but I think you have the agency to change that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like you just said, you started the show wanting to talk about, you know, South Asian culture, but then also just South Asian culture is also just the nuance in, the nuances in that, like, there's, you know. Sometimes and, and, right. I want to talk about Drake, you know. exactly. And we
2: exactly.
3: Yeah, why not?
2: And we
1: will that's what that's what it means to also be a south asian person you know like as you said there's so many different facets to that but um a little bit uh, more questions about your work how did
3: you get into it how did you like how have you ended up here oh my god yeah if I, had, I had a penny for every time someone asked me that let me tell you i wouldn't be an artist oh really oh damn um, well, we so, want to know we want to know so, so so um so i've always been writing i've been writing ever since i was little. Mm. Like. If my family always bringing the dramatics always trying to put on a show always mm-hmm. a little entertainer um, and I think it sort of got serious probably in my teens when I was a little bit more sort of curious about what was going on in the outer world aside from like A, like struggling with my own identity as a British, Muslim, Bengali woman, who's grow- girl who's grown up in, in the UK um, but also like what was going on uh, like uh, away from me growing up but to people that looked like me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I think like nobody at the time like when I was growing up in my early teens one was really talking about things like Palestine yeah nobody was talking about what was going on sort of like nobody was talking about anything that was relevant to me I didn't see myself reflected in um yeah Yeah. and I think like I just started writing and sharing some work on like a personal blog Mm. which then became a little bit bigger when I started doing little charity gigs Um, and then when I was I did my undergrad in creative writing and English literature which was very overwhelming Mm. Um, as you can imagine with an English degree what that curriculum looks like Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and but I very much enjoyed my degree it really sort, sort of taught me how to write yeah like really right in Mm -hmm. terms of form in terms of storytelling in terms of things making a little bit more sense than just talking about a certain issue Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and then yeah when I was in my final year at uni I did this um we had to do this module called writers at work and when I was doing it all of my like classmates they were all going to like publishing houses and things that just seemed really like for me really boring like that, I didn't that know. is
1: kind of what typically people with english backgrounds end up going into
3: absolutely and i was just like i'm not gonna sit and make cups of tea for yeah. do a photocopy
1: yeah. for next month yeah
3: Mm-mm. yeah, absolutely not i just found the idea so boring yeah. um, and because i had previous like previously performed here and there i did this um Spoken word slam when I was in college, oh, wow. and the organisation that ran this spoken word slam at uni. One of my tutors kept referring to them and saying, "You know what? You're a performance poet. I think you should like get in touch with this collective." And I had no interest of continuing like performing or writing. Mm-hmm. It's just something that I did as a pastime. I never knew I could get paid for it. Yeah, that actually, make a living um, out of that. And my, my tutor kept saying, "Yeah, get in touch with this collective. You know, they're really cool. Blah blah blah." And little did she know, I already knew the collective. You'd already been doing. <laughs> yeah, so I, I sort of got in touch and I said, "Can I just come and work for you for free?" Yeah. For- oh wow! Okay. Like, for my um, for my um, module, and. Um, I started working for them, and I'm now one of their trustees. <laughs> oh, my God. Come on. Come on. For those of you who can't
1: see, I'm pulling gum fingers right now. Full circle. Come on. I love that. That's
3: amazing. But wait, what happened in between... <laughs> how Literally. did you go from a little intern running around after them to now so when i was working with them i started learning um how, so i was doing a lot of facilitating they thought okay she's doing an undergrad she can just fa- facilitate all these spoken word like um all these poetry workshops i had never taught a day in my life i had oh, never wow. done any workshops in my life yeah. so i just yeah pretended with the soul of me that i had done this I hadn't done it mm-hmm. this is what i mean, like artist because um, i had to make myself look yeah. sick in it but i just when i started doing these workshops there was more opportunities sort of being um sort of pushed my way so things like producing things like marketing learning about and learning about what it means to work, to work in the arts mm-hmm. uh, from selling tickets to like marketing to producing a show to working and liaising with artists just learning everything it's not it's
1: more than just standing on a stage and like reading a
2: poem
3: absolutely yeah um learning how a theater theater runs are really like widening like my skill set as an artist widening my skill set as a person who works in the arts and then like just really alhamdulillah like really amazing development opportunities and sort of opportunities to travel like globally and incredible amazing things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I've performed in quite a few places aside from the UK and that's really exciting for me because from someone who like as you can see like I never saw myself reflected in the art space not that I wanted representation because that's another conversation Mm -hmm. um Especially in this day and age. I think I just never saw like the things that I wanted to talk about, the things that were important to me or things that mattered to me being spoken about in the arts world or mm-hmm. just in the world in media. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to change that. And now I get to do that sort of not just in little old Manchester,
1: which yeah. is so cool. That's so sick. That's so sick. We'd love to see it. We'd love to hear it. Um but obviously so obviously it was it was a very colourful journey. Um and like mashallah, Very continuing and it's, and it's successful, but what. What were the difficulties that you faced along the way? because um obviously, because i'm we're, we're both Bengali Muslim Mancunians. Um, and I know that it's not always easy, kind of, especially as a woman, to go into the creative art space, you know, like you kind of get to a certain age and there's always there's that difficulty of a woman pursuing a, a career anyway, you know, because there's expectations of marriage and homekeeping and things like that. And then on top of that, it's like they make exceptions, but, Exceptions for for kind of typical accepted careers, right? Like in our community, and, and that obviously that that it's a double edged sword because it's like that's why the work that you do is so much more important because we need to create a space where Bengali, you know, young Bengali Muslims, both you know, male and female, feel comfortable pursuing the arts and, and those things. But it just there just wasn't a space, right? So I can I can I can kind of hazard that doing it, there was a lot of side eyes a lot of what are you doing like what's going on here
3: (laughs) i'm really lucky because um i grew up in a family that weren't massively cultural so there wasn't really any sort of in terms of that i mean like do you know how like in our community sometimes like oh yeah like look what she's doing and you know people talk and all of that like my family just weren't involved with i'm just quietly nodding my head by the way guys I know <laughs> yes, my family married. my mum and my dad were just not for that kind of community oh, I love that um, so growing up we never really like we never I never really grew up around Bengalis I, oh, I mean I it? went to, I went to a private Islamic school so the oh. first time you met me the first time you met me was when I was on. around in college yeah so <laughs> just that, fresh like, those were my first Bengali friends oh so, my god yeah. Oh,
1: yeah for those of you who don't know Nasima is like very good friends with my cousin um <laughs> And that's how I know. That's how I know her.
3: But um, yeah. oh wow, okay, and, okay. I know you grew up around like Bengalis, and also I think I'm the youngest of seven, so I think I'm- right, <laughs> right. You just get to do whatever you want. Then yeah, oh. I think when it came to me, my parents just gave up, like. They were like, okay, let her do whatever whatever she wants, like everybody oh, else Oh, yeah. Nobody cares about the youngest. Yeah, it's
1: um, no, I'm pulling screw face because I'm the oldest out of four siblings. And me, I'm always, always going on about how this little one, oh my God. Like, I call her an orphan. I literally call her an orphan because it's like, where are your parents? <laughs> you're out here doing this, you're out here doing that. Where are your parents? So... um, Okay, you yeah. sound
3: like my older siblings. You sound like my old, older yeah, siblings. Yeah,
1: I feel like every Bengali older sister is just factory made. I feel like we would have had the exact same experiences. Justice for Bengali older sisters. But anyways, yeah, um, it's not about me, unfortunately.
3: Uh, can't relate. <laughs> yeah, you can't and I can't relate to you, so. Um. But honestly, like, I think also I'm very rebellious and curious. Mm-hmm. Like, if something doesn't make sense to me, I'll question it. And yeah. I... I'm oh, like my
1: little sister. I was saying yeah. to my mom the other day, like she has so much sofa, <laughs> so much sufa, <laughs> like everything. I'm like, I, I didn't even have the courage to look my dad in the eye when he was like, you know, going off on one. And you, you're just there, like, I'm like, what? Wow. Literally, be Honest wow. to God, is that me? Oh God, it's so.
3: Embarrassing. I feel like younger
1: siblings have a very strong sense of justice, right? And I think it comes yeah. from a certain entitlement, which isn't a bad thing it's not a bad thing. Whereas like the older ones were taught to just kind of sit down, put your head down a bit, blah, blah, blah. But, um, it's probably what's led you and like lended you to, to what you do and the kind of writing that you have. Okay. So you didn't personally feel that resistance, but, um, is that something that you were cognizant of when you were kind of in the process of trying to carve out those space? Like, was it kind of like, okay, do you know what? Uh, Bengalis. And it's very funny because we are traditionally that like, Bengali culture is very artistic, right? Um, um, oh, yeah, it's yeah. very poetic. Like we're literally known for our poetry, oh, and yet...
3: I mean, we, fought our, we fought for our tongue. Like we literally fought right? for
1: right, right. Literally, the, yeah. the you know the first uh, um, uh, Asian Nobel laureate was was a, a Bengali man, um, but then you come kind of here like to the diaspora particularly in a place like longside which is in and around um where nasima and i grew up um and it's just it just doesn't exist so was that despite you not ha- personally being able to relate in your own family was that something that you were cognizant of and like kind of like okay you know what i want to do this for like other Bengali children who maybe have artistic flares but aren't able to pursue I it. think
3: a thousand percent. Like, like I said at the start, I'm nobody's role model. I don't try and say that I'm doing this for anybody else, yeah. other than me wanting to. Like, all I want to do is tell stories. Yeah. And want people to listen and then have conversations about them, so that the world can be a pe- better place. But really, I'm not out here trying to be. Oh,
1: that's all <laughs> right. Do you need to get that? Yeah, yeah I'm that's so fine. Happy. That's fine. That's fine. Um Carlos and I can.
0: I was gone to the door.
1: I think so. Yes, she's got an unexpected visitor, guys. Don't <laughs> mind.
0: So, Halima.
1: Oh, she's back. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm so going. sorry. about That's that. That's all right. That's
3: well, all right. I'm in Birmingham. I'm not even in Manchester. No, I don't know. That's not going there. But what I was going to say is back to the back to the topic. Yeah. Um, um, I never really see myself as. Um, a role model for anybody other than me writing these stories telling these stories and having conversations to make the world a better place and mm-hmm. whatever, it sounds like such a far reach mm-hmm. um but really well and truly like i never really faced any sort of like anyone holding me back in the community or my parents or mm-hmm. anyone questioning it um within south asians mm-hmm. however being g- growing up in the arts world oh gosh uh, yeah it has been a has been a a bit of a storm, I'd say, <laughs>
2: mm.
3: because you're constant. You're constantly at the start. I was just trying to fit in, yeah, and probably doing things and doing gigs that I probably wasn't comfortable with, mm-hmm. um, and like I'm. I was constantly like being picked to do things mm-hmm. that basically just being tokenized. When I was that's being what picked, it is, yeah. yeah. When I was being picked, it wasn't. It was. It was to be token. Like it wasn't really because she stands out because she's great and she's a brilliant writer and this is filling a diversity quota. yeah and i think it's things that you fast i mean we're fast learners growing up as south asian bengali muslim women in this country um so we just we just i just sort of like okay took it on the chin really focused on the things that i wanted out of it and sometimes tokenization isn't so bad i've learned sometimes Mm -hmm. like being tokenized, you get to win in the conversation get to be the one who mm-hmm. who di- dictates what happens and who dictates like how you yeah just you get to dictate it mm-hmm. nobody, nobody can take that from you um and yeah like I think I just learned how to <laughs> she just learned how to, to use it yeah. to her advantage <laughs> okay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah I think I just learned how to um learn how to navigate that, learn how to... And I think another thing that I will say, like, those who will be... One of the biggest things that I think about a lot, and I talk to other friends of mine who are artists, is that um, those who came before me, like other Muslim, South Asian artists, they set a standard, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that standard... Because, like, it's such a big nuance. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a big nuance. And I... Yeah like th- those those that came before me set a standard and i think people's expectations was that i would just fit into those standards rather than make my own like just for example of like i don't know how do i explain this just like for example like i don't have any problem to get up and say that i want to break a rehearsal space because i need to go and pray whereas that oh, is yeah. not people yeah, yeah 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 i don't yeah. have any problem being my full authentic self as a muslim mm-hmm. Now, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. whereas before, I mean, sometimes it's a bit jarring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to navigate that aspect of things does that make sense no i can
1: imagine because it's kind of like it's not you know like kind of breaking into a space and and like the art space is very kind of overwhelmingly white right so to break into a space it's not as though it's not a one-stop job it's not like a oh okay we've broken in and that's it it comes in phases and you have to it's a process and you have to have wins along the way so like i can understand how the maybe perhaps the people that came before you for them the big win was just getting in and then they were just kind of very quiet and they just didn't want to stir too much. They didn't want to kind of draw too much attention. Whereas now you're in a place where it's like, actually, no, I'm in and I deserve to be here and I'll take up the space and I'll do it in my way. And in a way that accommodates me, you know, rather right. than just kind of... Because I I, I I get that sense from a lot of South Asian people or like just, you know, um, ethnic people who end up in whatever overwhelmingly white industry um there's this sense that they should be grateful to to just even be there right like as though they haven't earned that space as though they're not there from their own merit there's this sense that like it has been bestowed upon them kindly rather than the fact that they have earned to 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 be in that space and i guess where that's that's where kind of like feelings of imposter syndrome come from and stuff like that um yeah
3: no i agree but that's just it like I mean, we all got there by merit as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a level of tokenization, there's a level of, you know, fit in that box. But I do believe, like, we're, hi- I mean, again, it sounds really corny and I hate saying it out loud and a little bit cliche, but I really believe, like, being an artist and what I do is it fulfills my purpose as yeah, a Muslim. 100%, and yeah, 100%. Like, me doing, me writing poems as stupid as it sounds, like, those conversations might be the small change that we need in whether it's a local thing, whether it's changing someone's perspective on, like, Like, you know just on a personal level like a lot of the time people come to me and they'll so even sometimes like when i'm writing from my perspective sometimes obviously as writers we really like flower things up and make it Mm. you know make it better Mm. sometimes it's not my experience but sometimes when it's my experience and people come up to me and they're just like oh my god like i really related to this because x y and z and Mm -hmm. it really made me something because uh-huh. that's when like man i live for that yeah
1: 100 because- percent. like you can't you can't understate the power of like of resonance and like of the power of being able to your gift is 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 to write right is to articulate your gift is of articulation and you cannot under understate and underestimate the power of being articulate the power of being able to articulate someone else's experiences, someone else's lived experiences, especially someone who belongs to an identity that is typically suppressed um, and they feel that they don't have avenues or that they're not able to. To read something, to hear something that encapsulates how they feel and what they've experienced, it's a liberation. It's not just like, (laughs) oh my God, yeah, I really get it, I understand. It's a revelation, it's a liberation for a lot of people who have typically had felt those things and had no avenue of getting that out you know and 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 more to kind of when you're sat here and you're being like oh he he tokenization well and black artists but not really not really because like if that was the case then we'd all do it like we could all just go on black you know like as i say there is a talent and an art and an artistry in even in being flexible and adaptable and being able to kind of do all of those things um I want to because we're slightly running out of time, but I want to hear a little bit about more about like um, the theatre work that you are involved in.
3: Yeah, so um, I do a little bit of acting here and there. Okay, um, how did you get into it? doing that? See, I don't know. Everything just happened really accidentally. I told you, I really? don't. Really, not for I just find myself in spaces, and I really like. You know me. I'm very much. Um, if there's something I haven't, especially in the arts world, I'm comfortable comfortable enough to say I don't know how to do something. Yeah. And I'm not good at it. So like acting, I think it sort of began because I wasn't the best performer. I don't think I was the best performer in my very early, early years. Okay. Um, and um, I wanted to get better at connecting with people on a stage. So that's mm-hmm. why I started doing little bits here and there. Um, and I'm currently actually writing my own, writing my first script. Which is really exciting! Fantastic! Can you tell us a little bit about that or oh, no? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can. Okay. So the it's a bit, it's it's not a fully blown script, and it's going to be a theatre show, that kind of thing. It's not like yet, but the hopes is that it does become at some point um, in the future. But it's, it's a research development on what it means to be a Muslim woman in the current climate of political Britain, and how I know. <laughs> it's just like how heavy. It's just like how wanted to give myself the most difficult thing to do, yeah. right? No but important though. The yeah, difficult yeah. things are the important things. Absolutely. Um so I just it sort of came about from personal experiences and trying to navigate like existing in this weird climate of a Tory government, having lived through nine yep. eleven, having lived through all of these things and mm-hmm. like, you know, and how and also like, yeah, just personal experiences that I won't go into too much, but yeah. me I think i finding myself apologizing for things that I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as Muslims we all sort of bear that on our shoulders a little bit, whether we want to or not. Mm-hmm. Whether something happens mm-hmm. and we're going out the next day, uh, you know, it's our mothers, our fathers who are calling us up to be yeah, safe. Are you safe? Are you okay? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean we speak all the time on this show about how like ardently and like enthusiastically Islamophobic um this country and this government is. Yeah, um absolutely.
3: Um, so yeah, and and I think really, I mean, the crux of it is at the time I sort of wrote this proposal for this piece of work, um, Boris Johnson had. I mean, there was this article on him saying all this stuff about you know, Muslim women and ninjas, um, oh, so and all of these i and just never ever taking the responsibility and the ability of how, what that means for everyday me and you. Mm-hmm. And how that, you know how do we? exist in that climate so yeah that's what the that's what the this research piece is about and it's really exciting because i'm getting to work with a director and drama seg and and i'm not in it so i'm not oh Oh. well
1: you can't wear all the hats all the time in a sigma you gotta give some space for other people (laughs) you can't do it all but that's incredible exactly. that sounds amazing amazing um, very quickly just before we wrap up because I know you've got a little uh, present for us before we fun. wrap up um, What what is your what are you looking forward to in the future so obviously you've got your play um, that you're that you're writing inshallah we get to see that
3: on stage one day yeah. um I think, honestly, for me like the best part of being an artist is being in rooms with people and having conversations like just like this yeah honestly like just connecting with people um my work meaning something Mm -hmm. and being a force for greater good again it sounds no it's
1: not it's not claim it
3: that's what you're doing
1: in in a small way it is and i think
3: that's what's exciting to me
1: yeah, and not even in a small way. Like, we're so... We, again, on this show, like we talk all the time about how there's the world. And there's lots of... There's 8 billion worlds, you know, mm. within the world. Um, so don't don't understate that. Um, but to wrap up, Nisima has very kindly
3: offered to read us one of her poems. Um, so... So a really good intro because... So this poem is one of the poems written for this script...
1: Okay, like Fantas- we I love a good segue.
3: Segment. Yeah, it's the first poem um, that I've written in this script, so I thought I'd share that, um, and it's called Take Back My Body. Iranian climber apologises on Instagram for competing without hijab. Law against Islam, French vote in favour of hijab ban condemned. Students in Belgium protest for headscarf rights at university. Hijab ban proposal sparks debate in protests in Denmark. Violent clashes over hijab ban in southern India forced schools to close. I am body, covered or uncovered, when naked, my limbs are a tangle, knotted in redemption, tied in resistance, a coil of revolution, breath, a symphony of exhaustion, existing as halves in harrowing whole, hearted in heavy syllable faith, worn like armor. This subversive, untouchable, only the valiant a forever defined but denied explanation, politicised for choosing right to wear or not to wear, assimilate or stand out or stand down or speak loud, only speak when spoken to, stand up if you're speaking, never speak up for yourself, is she spoken for? Does she speak? Does your husband force you to? Do you have to wear it at home too? Do you shower with it on? Objectified, vilified, disgusted by, often gagged by intolerant assumption, devout in disinterest, I'm tired of being the person of interest. I have lost count the times I process the grief of being misunderstood. Misheard, unheard, not listened to, insulted by immoral compasses that pick and choose the direction of where to signal virtue. No more apologies for uninformed cliches, selective in when one is switched on long enough to care about oppression or one's opponents or the opposition. Optimistic for opportunities to be the white saviour, wearing your liberation cape is seemingly harmless, yet failure to observe agency in any other instant does not result in silence. I am the too difficult to understand but uncaring to make myself intelligible. The subject matter excluded, intrigued by, appealing, mysterious, yet the fear of the unknown is never compelling enough to enlighten or let go. I am full letterbox brimming i am ninja seething and i am a bank robber bored of backhanded compliments of being repressed represented or representative or misrepresentation no more palatable muslim woman always image never artist bizarre and freakish i am a stranger to you when i sit at your table Queuing at the same supermarket checkout lines, frustrated by traffic, drinking my Frappuccino on my way to work, at the gallery or the museum or the cinema, when I'm at the park for a run or when I'm asked at school why I'm covering my hair to determine my sexualization. In your gaze, by your gaze, I'm always the other the alternative, and you're obsessed with how I dress. I am full fantasy and erotic and exotic, foreign but eloquent, eh? a non-native. I'm imported, I am not human. You do not have to humanize me.
1: Wow, wow, that, sorry, what? I feel like that just very, very perfectly like encapsulated every like hijabi experience that was incredible that i'm going to sit with that for a very 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 long time and thank you so much for sharing that um especially obviously as part of a much wider body of work and we are going to have to wrap up now we're running a little bit late but thank you so 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 much for coming on and for the people that want to find you where can they find you
3: so on Twitter, I'm at Nasima e, and on Instagram at Nasima B Poet. I'm sure you guys just posted about me. So just go on Mangum Masala, Follow yeah. me. get yeah, my work. Follow Mango Masala if you're not already. Yeah, come on, guys. Come on. Uh,
2: thank you so much for coming on, Nasima. And thank you for everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.